Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Eurotrip. So hello and welcome to the final episode of the 2023 series of The Contest and Me from us here at the Eurotrip Podcast. I am Rob, as ever, and for the final time this series, I'm joined by Mr. James Rowe. James, hello. Hello, good to be back. Final episode of the series. It's come around very, very quickly, hasn't it? We chatted to so many great guests uh, in this little series that we've done over the last seven or eight weeks or so. Uh, great to chat to Carolina Noren last week. And we've got another great guest lined up to round off the series. Yeah, that chat with Carolina Noren, Swedish radio's commentator at the Eurovision Song Contest. Quite the reaction across socials after we uh, after we released last week's episode. So we'll get to that. We'll talk about that very, very shortly. But yeah, James, we are finishing the series in style this week because you have been talking to a very, very special guest. Indeed, yes. Norway's head of delegation, Stig Carlson. We've had him on the podcast a few times before. I think we spoke to him on both of the Turgoy's carpets that we've attended over the last couple of years. And we spoke to him for the first time about two years ago uh, to go really in-depth about his role of head of delegation, uh, executive producer of Melody Grand Prix, and the musical director as well. He's got a lot of job titles. He's a very important man. And he is a big advocate for changing the televote percentages. He is a big fan of moving away from 50-50 jury televote to weighting it more towards the public vote. So we had to get him on to ask him all about that as well. Yes, this is his first interview since many people think 
he has successfully managed to change the rules for 2024. I will ask him all about that and plenty more on this episode of the Eurotrips, The Contest and Me. So we've got all that and more still to come. Yes, so we will get to all that. If you missed it, by the way, and wondering what I'm talking about when I say many people think he has successfully changed the rules. Well, he was at a Eurovision workshop in September uh, and put a cryptic message on social media that seemed to suggest that something is changing for 2024. Well, I do put that to stake. We find out what he was talking about and what happened at that Eurovision workshop. And we'll find out all about that a little bit later on. All I'll say is it might not be what you expect. Is that safe to say? Potentially, but you might get a little bit more gossip than you were expecting. So stay tuned. Yeah, make sure you stay tuned for that. I also do like the idea of a Eurovision workshop. It's a bit like something you'd end up doing on a like a like a non uniform day at school. You know what I mean? <laughs> you'd do like a you you you'd what they'd wheel the telly out and you'd watch a film just before Christmas or something. I like to think that's what all the head of delegations did when they went to Berlin. They all sat down and they wheeled out an old telly and they watched like Eurovision nineteen seventy three or something. <laughs> Do you know anything that happened at Eurovision 1973? Not a clue. Uh, Did we win? No, we didn't win. But the contest was in the UK the year after. So who won? Israel? Israel probably won. Did they? Luxembourg. Was it Luxembourg? Pretty sure it was Luxembourg. Okay. Have a look at your spreadsheet and we'll find out. (laughs) Maybe we need one of our own Eurovision workshops so we can get all the answers that we need. But yeah, you mentioned, and we've already mentioned, we had quite the reaction to last week's podcast because we were chatting to Carolina Norin, who is Swedish radio's commentator at the Eurovision Song Contest. And as you know, if you've been listening to the series so far, one of the questions we ask, of course, is what is the one change you would like to make to the Eurovision Song Contest? It's one of the final questions we ask here on the contest and me. And Carolina said that she would scrap the big five. So if Carolina had her way, no longer would the UK, France, Germany, Spain, or Italy have a direct qualification to the grand final. No longer would they be automatically in the show on the Saturday night. And she also revealed that she's been trying to talk to Martin Osterdahl about that as well. Well, we put that out on social media and blimey, James, blimey. We had, uh, yeah, quite the reaction. Yeah, it's caused quite a stir, hasn't it? More of a stir than I thought it would. I remember seven days ago, I did say, I think that Carolina's comments about the big five might cause a bit of a reaction. I didn't expect a reaction this big. So many of you were getting in touch with your thoughts, whether you'd like to see the big five go or your opinions on why you think the big five should stay. Uh, yeah, one of our biggest tweets we've put out <laughs> on our Twitter account, at Eurotrip Podcast. Uh, plenty of you getting in touch uh, via email as well. Yeah, so this is one from Stuart. So Stuart, thank you for getting in touch on email. He sent this across on Thursday, so obviously the day after last week's episode came out. It said, hi, I've just listened to this week's episode and totally agree with Caroline and Oren to get rid of the big five, brackets, although I am from the UK. What I would do is rather than the big five automatically qualify, I would put through the top five from the previous year. Very interesting. So the winners and then second to fifth place. And they would then have to share the majority of the cost between them. I feel by doing this, especially for the UK, they would up their game as they would have to get through the semis first, as I feel that sometimes there is a complacency between the big five and they don't try, whereas the countries in the semifinals 
do try. Love the podcast, guys. Stuart, thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there isn't a lot of transparency about the costs uh, for, for broadcasters to participate and to be members of the EBU. But we do know that the big five naturally spend more money than the other countries who have to go through the semi-finals. I do question, though, would you end up with a kind of self-sabotage thing where you knew that if you were going to finish in the top five, you'd end up having to foot quite a sizable bill for the following <laughs> year's contest in, you know, in thanks, basically, of getting a, an automatic place in the grand final? I don't know. I'm not sure about that one, but I think it's a very interesting discussion, and I can understand both points of view at the risk of sounding very uh, on the fence about everything yeah. there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I want to give a shout out as well to to Ben Robertson, who's been on the podcast plenty of times before. I'm sure you know who he is by now. Uh, And he's written a great article on ESC Insight called Why Now is the Right Time to Remove the Big Five Rules. And he sort of goes into the ins and outs of what the Big Five is all about, um, where the money comes from, and all to do with the finances and sponsorship and and all that sort of thing. And and does a very balanced debate about it all. So go and give that a read if you want a more balanced uh, uh, viewpoint on it all. And I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put a link to that in the description for today's episode. So check out the description of today's podcast. Go and click on the link. Have a read of Ben's article and uh, and let him and the good people over at ESC Insight know what you think. You're listening to The Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. Okay, so before we get to Stig, I do want to quickly mention something else we put out on social media over the weekend. And it was asking you if you could change one result in Eurovision history, what would it be? And again, surprise, surprise, you came in with so, so many different answers. Yeah, so many of you got in touch on this one. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because everyone has a different viewpoint and the whole thing is like on one person's personal choice and what songs they enjoy and yeah you could go anywhere with this basically so yeah if you could take a pill and go back in time which eurovision result would you change apparently i now can't say the word eurovision which is problematic <laughs> when you have the eurovision podcast uh so just a few examples steve got in touch crowning 1991's real winner and then a french flag emoji of course, Sweden and France finishing on the same points in 1991. But France, of course, losing out to the tiebreak rule back in 1991. We now have a different tiebreak rule, of course, if that was to happen again. Uh, River, or at EMA underscore unofficial on uh, Twitter, got in touch saying, changing the Eurovision 2011 winner to this. Well, that's a video of Slovenia's entry from 2011. And finally, Antoine got in touch and said, making Andorra qualify in 2007 so that they would finally be able to experience a Eurovision grand final. Good song from Andorra in 2007, I remember. James, what about you? You've been having a think? What do you reckon? I did have a think. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because obviously you don't want to change anything that had ever happened. But if, if, if I had to, if you forced my hand, what I would love to change is the 2021 winner. Only because... I think that Monoskin would have gone on to the global success that they have done, no matter what the result would have been. So even if they'd come second or third or, or whatever, I feel like they would have gone on to 
global domination. And it would have just allowed Barbara Bravi to win with Voila. And I would love to to have seen Barbara go down as a Eurovision winner. So I think that, that would be my change if I was allowed to make one. I can see you rolling your eyes. So come on, what you got? Well, no, I'm just rolling my eyes because I should have known it would come back to France and France doing better at the contest when it comes to you. For those of you that don't know, James absolutely loves a French entry at the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> It's interesting though, isn't it? The whole butterfly effect of like, if this song doesn't win and then this song wins and then the contest is in a different country the following year and mm-hmm. you can basically go on and on and on. Uh, Seat Sabaka, the exec producer of Eurovision 2021, the contest you've just mentioned, uh, got in touch actually. He responded and he said, and this is the whole butterfly effect thing basically that we've just been talking about. So he talks about his own country here, the Netherlands. If we'd sent Ebonique in 2001, we probably would have gotten a few more points in Copenhagen. This therefore means that the Netherlands would have qualified in 2002 instead of Latvia. Of course, you had the promotion and relegation rule back in the early 2000s. So then the Netherlands qualify instead of Latvia. Latvia aren't in the 2002 contest, which means they can't win the 2002 contest. So it wouldn't have been in Riga. Where would it have been? We'll never know. Fascinating. That is, that's the ultimate butterfly effect, isn't it? If the eventual winner wasn't even in that year's contest... And then a very quick one from me, because I was thinking about this as well as you. I think for me, I think Lucy Jones deserved better, you know. I think Lucy Jones deserved a top 10. I think in 2017, Lucy Jones in the UK should have been top 10. I don't think 2017, and this may be controversial, I don't think it was full of great songs. And I think the UK and the way that we performed our entry and the way that Lucy did, it deserved better. Well, I think that's a pretty popular opinion, actually. I think a lot of people would say that Lucy Jones deserved better. Let us know what you would change if you could over the course of Eurovision history at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us as well. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com. But now, shall we get to the man of the moment, the man in the spotlight on this episode of The Contest and Me? It is Stig Carlson, the head of delegation for Norway at the Eurovision Song Contest. He's been in that role since 2016 and has overseen seven different acts representing his country. He's also the executive producer of MGP, that's Melody Grand Prix, their national selection, and he is the artistic director as well. So it's a full-time job. He's working on that from January the 1st to December the 31st. But the great thing about Stig is he is never shy to express an opinion. Something he has done since the 2023 contest, of course, when there was so much discussion around televote and jury vote and which one of those should have more weight or should we keep it 50-50? Well, Stig is very much in the camp of the televote, which you potentially are unsurprised to hear, given that Norway tend to do, or at least have done in the last few years, much better in the televote than they have in the jury vote. But he did put out, as we mentioned earlier on, a cryptic post over on his Instagram after the Eurovision workshop saying, mission accomplished. What was accomplished, Stig? Have you managed to change the rules of the Eurovision Song Contest? Well, James, I know you ask him. I certainly do. You'll have to sit tight. We'll uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But we go through all the same questions we do with all the guests here on the contest and me. So we'll find out his first memory of Eurovision, his favourite song, his favourite year, and some of his most memorable moments as well. So this is Stig Carlson here on the Eurotrips, the contest and me. Stig Carlson, welcome to the Eurotrips, the contest and me. How are you? 
Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm so excited. You know, every year uh, when we do MGP and, you know, get to be a part of Eurovision, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's just as exciting every time. So it's, uh, it's always great. Give us an idea how busy you are at the moment. It's just turned October. The submissions window for MGP closed a, a few weeks ago. I imagine this time of year is super, super busy. It's crazy. Uh, you know, I'm talking to so many songwriters, producers, artists. Uh, so I'm constantly on the phone or uh, emailing or texting or whatever. And so we just finished uh, listening to all the songs, which is about a thousand uh, or twelve hundred, uh, something around there. And we had listening groups because we like bringing people in. So we have like confidential listening uh, uh, sessions with people. So we pick out uh, quite a few songs. They get to listen and they get to give a score and tell us uh, what they think. And I think that's a good way to, to do it because we have about 100 people. And of course, when you have 100 people, you get a pretty good idea of what people like and not. And usually it's it's the same that I am thinking, but... Um, it's, it's great to have like uh, regular people and also professionals um, listening to the songs and I get to sit in the room and I can see when people, you know, get tired and when people are dancing and when they get, get excited. So it's, uh, it's really good for us. And um, tomorrow we are actually starting with the first artist that we picked because we have had him auditioning and now we're um, actually starting working with them tomorrow. Um, talking with them about their stage act. So we, we're um, having quite a few artists in tomorrow and meeting the key members of the team. So does that mean all of the artists are guaranteed now? Have you put pen to paper and, and signed the documents or are you still <laughs> choosing some of the other ones at the moment? Not at all. There, there's still a lot of artists to be picked. So uh, it's still uh, a lot of songs in play. But um, we picked a few artists, uh, so we, we get the team started. And that's important because there's a lot of artists and a lot of songs, so uh, this is the time to, to do it. So we're, so we're uh, starting with a few artists and then there's gonna be, uh, within October, I'll, I'll have all the artists uh, settled for, for next year's MGP, so. Do you know how many you've got to narrow this down to? You said you got about 1,200 submissions. How many do you have to narrow that down to? Earlier this year, I think we had 21 yeah, in MGP. How many is it for next year? I, I wish I could tell you, but it's a part of the <laughs> whole thing when we're going to tell how many semifinals, uh, what dates and everything. And we're going to keep that as a secret for a while still. Um, it, it's going to be an amazing MGP. And we have a variety of artists and variety of different styles of music. Um, so that's going to be something for everyone. And one thing that I have to say about this year uh, is that there's so many songs to dance to. There's so many songs to have a great time to, you know, uh, partying. It's going to be a party this year. Um, if you want to come to a party, come to, uh, to Norway this year. <laughs> <laughs> that is great news. That is exactly what we want to hear. That is fantastic. Um, of course, as well, I'm sure you've got some ideas about how you can change up MGP you know in recent years we've had a few format changes a different amount of artists and that sort of thing is that something you always look at every year and think 
how can we make MGP a little bit different, a little bit better every single year? Yeah, I think it's important to stay through, stay through to the uh, tradition and take care of making sure that it is what it, people expect it to, it, to be, uh, but still, you know, moving forward. It's important to uh, never stop, um, you know, develop the uh, concept and go forward. So I, I think it's a mix between staying th through to what it is and the traditions and the history of the co uh, contest, but still always come up with something new and make sure that it's get better and that it's vital and that it's modern and that it's fresh and that it's engaging for the younger audience because, you know, um, everyone else is going to die soon. So we, <laughs> we have to make sure it's interesting for the people growing up now. Let's get to the questions that we, we, we ask everybody uh, here on the contest and me, because we want to find out a little bit more about you and how Eurovision has gone through through your life. We want to start with 2023, first of all. Uh, of course, you were in Liverpool. You had Alessandra as your artist, fifth place uh, in the grand final. Talk us through your your, your feelings and, and emotions from, from Liverpool. It is a it does feel like a long time ago now. Quite a few months have passed. I have to say that... Uh... United Kingdom is one of my favorite countries and Liverpool is definitely one of my favorite cities in the whole world. And I'm a huge Beatles fan. I'm a huge fan of music and, you know, being able to go there um, for Eurovision, which is one of my biggest interests as well, uh, was amazing. And we had this amazing Norwegian delegation this year. And in the center of that, Alessandra, um, a great artist uh, with uh, a major hit, uh, Queen of Kings, which is a global hit. And it is streamed, I, I think, through different platforms about 160 million times, which is like incredible. Um, so all that was so exciting. And coming to Liverpool, having BBC, which is one of the most, the best broadcasters in the world doing this uh, together with the Ukrainian broadcaster and you know EBU is a solid um, organization uh, and I, I think um, I, th I think they did the right thing because as I said I think it's important to keep being faithful to the tradition and you know but still make it a modern pop show and I think that was an amazing TV show, uh, so many great artists, and it was really special, I have to say. Now, you mentioned there about keeping the traditions and trying to modernize it as well. I'm sure we'll come on to that when we chat about something you'd like to change at the contest, one of the questions we've got coming up later. Shall we, though, rewind the clock a little bit further uh, to your very first Eurovision memory? Can you take us back to the first time you ever remember hearing the word Eurovision or seeing Eurovision on TV? Can you remember that moment? I remember, I can't tell you exactly what year, but I remember this was something special every year for my family. And it's like the Olympics for, uh, for music, you know? It's, it's like one of those few days um, throughout the whole year where the whole family is going to be together and when every family are, you know, in front of that television and not just in Norway, but in the whole of Europe. And 
other parts of the world as well. So it was a special night and I remember I had a special feeling when we came to that day of the year. And the thing was that I, I thought it was so exciting. So I, after the uh, show, I went back to my room and I started building Lego stages of Eurovision and I held my own Eurovision. Uh, dreaming about maybe, you know, running MGP or whatever at some point. Um, so that is kind of cool to think about now, you know, sitting in your uh, room, seven years old, building Lego stages of, that was supposed to be a Eurovision station. And um, many, many years later, you get to work with a team of amazing people building these kind of stages for MGP and Eurovision. So um, uh, that is my strongest memory. Um, musically, I think it was 1983 that I remember the most, you know, um, for Norway, it was Jan Teigen, Doremi, and Sweden had Karola Fremling. And I think um, Luxembourg was a winner. Um, so I think in 1983 probably was the, um, the year that I remember best musically that woke me up like, uh, oh, this is this is exciting. So how old were you then, 1983? What, about 10, 10 years old or something? Well, uh, it, that's not a good question asking this guy about <laughs> his age, but uh, uh, okay, okay. Um, I must have been 10 years old, I think, yeah. Most of us, you know, especially everyone listening, me sitting here, We'll have had that moment as well when we we were young and we watched Eurovision for the first time. And we remember that feeling because it was like nothing we'd ever seen before. And you mentioned it was like the Olympics for music. It's so special, isn't it, to, to think back and think about how you saw it for the first time. And then it goes through your life and you end up in all of these jobs you've got now. Because we, we should say, I think musical director for, at NRK for MGP executive producer and head of delegation. So you've got a lot of jobs. So you've built up to a lot since that first memory. Yeah, I had a lot of different roles and I, you know, I've been making the postcards one year and I've done a lot of different things. But um, of course, as everyone knows, it's, it's a big team of uh, a lot of amazing uh, people. So we're switching roles now a bit, but um, my ma main... Um, role now is actually picking the music, doing PR and, you know, talking to you guys and doing all the um, storytelling in terms of selling stuff to the to the press and being the head of delegation. So, um, but it's, um, it is very cool because I, I wasn't doing very well in school. I didn't know what to do with my life, uh, but it turned out okay. I think so. I, th I think we can all agree to that. You've been you've been in these roles for for a few years now and and achieved quite a lot. So I think yeah, we we can all agree. Doesn't matter about school now. <laughs> you've achieved a lot in <laughs> in these jobs. Um, shall we chat about the moment you fell in love with Eurovision then? Because I wonder if that's a bit of a, a different time. You know, you mentioned uh, you know when you were maybe about seven on seven or eight years old, and then in nineteen eighty three when you were ten, and these strong memories. But when do you think it was that? something inside really clicked and you thought, I really love the Eurovision Song Contest. I think we have to go back to that time being, you know, seven years old or whatever. But um, of course, something happened when I started working with Eurovision in 2010. Uh, that was the year when 
Norway was hosting and I didn't work on that, but I did some pre-show show kind of programs. So I, I made like um, archive programs. So um, then I really got to dig into the archives and look at stuff. And so I, I think I fell in love again in a way. And, and I got to understand how crazy big and fantastic this is. So I was like, I followed it all through every year, but um, that was like I fell in love again with it, with it in a in a big way. And when I started working with it, I totally got it how amazingly big and crazy this is, and the meaning of Eurovision not just being music and a show, but you know, unity, diversity, coming together, celebrating life, and also the importance of that Eurovision started with gathering Europe after uh, the war. So symbolic, it's very, very important. Tell us more about what it was like to put those shows together and have access to that full archive, because it sounds, to me at least, it sounds like a dream to be able to have all of that Eurovision at your fingertips and all of those videos and, and all sorts. Tell us a bit more about that. I'd love to know a bit more about kind of what you put together and what you found. It's amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's like going on a treasure hunt, you know, and <laughs> you're finding gold everywhere. Uh, and it's also like a study of our life because you can look at, you know, when this started back in the 50s up until now, you can see how fashion changes, how TV and entertainment changes, how people talk to each other, uh, how music changes. It's like a time machine. And <laughs> yeah, it's the closest to a time machine uh, because it's the same show, it's the same message, it's the same idea, but it's but it changes so much over, over all those years. So it's, it's like traveling through time. Let's try and figure out what your favorite Eurovision year is. Now, this could be for whatever reason you want. It could be the first time you attended the contest or it could be a favorite one you really enjoyed watching on TV for any reason. What do you think your favorite Eurovision year is? I could be nostalgic and go back in time, but uh, I think I have to mention a few of the uh, later ones. Um, Production-wise, I think maybe 2016 Stockholm that was actually my first time as a head of delegation. I went to Vienna the year before just to see what it what it was all about. But uh, that was the first year, um, so it's uh, it was uh, new and kind of scary. And you know, um, it was a special year because we had an amazing artist, but she um, had some health issues, so she wasn't doing interviews and press conferences. So I ended up doing all of those, um, which was kind of strange, but. Um, Great memories and um, things turn well, turn out well for the artist in the end. So she's doing great now. So that that's uh, good to know. Um, so th so that production-wise, musically, uh, I remember 2018 as being uh, a really great year. Um, Equinox, you know, um, Bulgaria with the song Bones. That was a great favorite of mine. Jessica, my boy, Australia. Yeah. Um, 
And Alexander Reback for, for Norway, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. That was fun uh, and crazy because he's he's such a big star in this uh, in this. Uh, so um, it was impossible to go somewhere with him. You know, if we tried to go to a restaurant, it was impossible because there was people <laughs> going totally nuts nuts everywhere. So uh, that was fun. But back back to the music, you know, you had uh, Caesar uh, Samson. Was this yes, yes, Caesar Samson, Aus- yeah, Austria. Austria. And you had Netta, and of course, as you said, Alexander Rybak. So um, that was a great year. I was in Lisbon, Portugal, yeah. And it was nice and hot as well. We don't always go to, to hot cities and, and countries for your vision, so it was nice to actually yeah. be in the sunshine that year. Yeah, we, we usually just see the inside of the hotel and the arena, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we got some sun as well, yeah. So, so 2016, 2018 are, are some of those favorite yeah. years for you, yeah? But it's so difficult because when you're asking, now, suddenly I, uh, I'm thinking Israel, you know, Tel Aviv was amazing as well. So And so was Liverpool. So uh, uh, I don't know. It's um, But I, I think the state of Eurovision now is really good. It's It's been that for quite a few years. I think EBU with the host broadcaster, they've done really well with, you know, bringing the contest and the event forward. So I, I think um, it's just not me saying these uh, years because they are, you know, what happened just recently, but because Eurovision is in a good state now, I think. Well, from one difficult question to another, because I've got to ask you now for your favorite Eurovision song you can give me a list I don't mind I'm not going to ask you just to choose one you can give me a few if you like I think I'm okay with giving you just one because um, I think there's one song and this is a boring answer because I think most people say this uh, but it's uh, Lorraine with uh, Euphoria I I think that's the ultimate pop song Eurovision song I, I think that song is so strong and the performance and everything so um i think I, if i just had to choose one that would be the one tell us why you think that is number one because you're right we've had so many guests on the contest and me and so many of them will always say lorraine with euphoria why do you think so many people have that same opinion i think the ultimate eurovision song is the one that can be sophisticated but still really available in a commercial um, kind of way. So it's it's um, it has substance, but it's also very easy listening in a way. It's it's something that you get get right away. So it, it has a balance between being unique and being I should not use the word generic, but it's um, something that gets people right away it's commercial in a way so it's it's both it has the um it's a well written it's 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 crafted well but it's also um something that gets you right away and yeah that's a good combination do you remember when you found out that Lorene was gonna enter melody festival and again this year and thinking i bet she's gonna <laughs> bet she's gonna bring another great song yeah, I was thinking, no, now we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have to say, I wasn't too happy to hear about that. 
(laughs) (laughs) But it's very impressive, isn't it? Because I think she brought the same songwriting team. I think she had a, a couple of other songwriters on there as well. And she got so many points at the contest and she's gone on to so much more success since then. It's really impressive to to see that from an artist who's won Eurovision twice now, isn't it? Yeah, and it is amazing. Uh, she's an amazing artist. Uh, both of her songs really stands out as great pop songs. Um, and it's really cool because I think I, I can totally understand that people get scared to do it another another year when they've won already because in a way there's so much to lose. Um, I, I don't think Alexander Ibak really cared. Uh, I think he, you move on and you, you get that big stage. Um, you get to experience that once more and totally fine with not uh, being number one. But um, So I, I think artists overthink it sometimes but it's still it takes a bit of guts to do it um once more and you know being able to win twice that that is so amazing so uh, it's very cool we've talked about a lot of different moments so far uh, i think it's about time we ask you what your most memorable eurovision moment is again this could be something that involved you directly maybe something that happened at a contest or a particular moment that happened on tv what do you think comes to mind when i ask you that i think it must be tel aviv israel sitting in the green room with kaino and they were quite disappointed about the jury votes you know they didn't give norway and kaino the um the uh, amount of points that we hoped for so we were kind of we were not too happy about that, I have to say. And then suddenly the televotes are coming in and suddenly we're number one um, and ended up at number six. And we ended up as the winner, uh, televote winner. And, you know, seeing the faces of Fred, Tom Hugo and Alexandra crying and being so emotional especially alexandra it was amazing to see her face you know um it transformed from not being too happy and then to being very happy and crying for the um response from the public and of course it is a competition where you have a jury and you have the the public voting uh, but I would say if you have to choose one of them, you, w- you would win the public over. that. That's the most important thing. So um, that was a really emotional moment. And I, I think it was really cool. That I remember that very well. That, that must be one of the most uh, memorable moments. And it's uh, caught on TV. It's, uh, I, I think, 200 million people saw that. <laughs> Was there a moment in that green room where you'd got the public vote, uh, sorry, you'd got the, the jury vote rather, and, you know, you didn't get, it's, you know, it's safe to say you didn't get many from, from the juries. Was there a moment you were sitting there thinking, what have we done wrong here? Because so many of the fans had already expressed so much support for, for, for the act, and yet you get the jury results in and you think, what's happened here? 
we had talked about, about it because the song is maybe more a typical song that the public would, you know, like and maybe the jury would think it's too cheesy or whatever. So we kind of knew that the um, votes from the jury wouldn't be the same as the public. I, I don't think we knew how that it would be so crazy, uh, a difference between the jury and the um, public. So, um, so uh, and it is what it is. So we, we had a, a nice evening. We, we were chatting and everything, but of course, uh, we're there to win. We're there to do um, the best we can. So um, it was um, it was emotional and it was um, it was such a great uh, moment when we got the public votes. I have to say, and winning the public vote almost feels like a win in itself. I guess does it? Yeah, I have to say, yeah. Um, of course, we we would have loved to have the trophy and, you know, taking the biggest music event back to Norway, but uh, but it felt good. Everyone, everyone was happy and the same this year, of course, we wanted to win, but there's a really tough competition having Alessandra as number five and having such a strong song being such a major hit uh, is a win as well. Now, I know you're in Norway and you do all your work for NRK, but I've got a question about the UK for you now. I want to ask you what you think the BBC and the UK can do to get back to the left-hand side of the leaderboard. Um, start caring. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. You know, uh, we ask so many people this and loads of people say, you've got to care more, you've got to take it more seriously. Yeah, give us a bit more on that. I think uh, Sam Ryder was a game changer and I hope you keep doing what you did with Sam Ryder. And it is all about, you know, putting down the hours, working really hard on engaging the music industry, engaging the artists, the songwriters, the producers, and, you know, get uh, a really great volume of artists and songs to choose from. And of course, we like to have fun and everything shouldn't be too serious but you have to take the competition serious so you have to make you know United Kingdom love it for the combination of you know being a show spectacular show with novelty act but also a place where you can get the music that you will add on your playlist and get quality music and so I, I think um I think it's everything from, you know, Graham Norton commentating uh, to how BBC are talking to everyone about this, how you engage the music industry. So, so I think it's about how do you want to sell this? And so, so I, I, it was really wonderful to see Sam Ryder and see what he uh, delegation for UK did with that but um, and I think they did quite well with the last last year as well but I, I don't think they were um, the per performance wasn't that great so um, they have to look into that as well but um, it, it's all about hard work and 
about caring uh, for the competition and making the music industry and the um, the public understand that this is a place not just for entertainment but also a place for amazing music that you're gonna sing and dance to for the next the next decade or two. And you can confirm that it takes a, a lot of work as well because in your roles it's it's all year round, isn't it? It's pretty much 24 seven, 365 days a year. I'm working so damn hard on this. Uh, I'm working 24 seven almost. Um, and yeah, uh, every day, every year. Um, and it pays off. Now I've deliberately left enough time for, for the last question. This is Obviously, for, for, for us, the, the question we, we always love to ask to find out what ideas people have got. And it's if you were in charge or if you could change something at the Eurovision Song Contest, what would it be? I think I know what it would be for you, but you can tell me anyway. <laughs> I think we, we talked a, a bit about it. You know, it's important to keep the tra- traditional stuff, the elements that people expect it to be and the things that are you know a part of the history of your vision you know um, so that's important but still move forward uh, and I think EBU and the um, different broadcaster have done really well doing that uh, it, it, it is a really popular show with the younger generation that's amazing um, I always believe that you should grow and make things bigger and better. So in these times when the economy is difficult and, you know, um, there's a lot of challenges, um, you know, uh, the competition is bigger. I think it's important that you don't scale down this. You, you have to make it just as big and bigger. And I like the idea of you know, trying different markets, you know, they tried the American Song Contest and I don't think they will do that again. But, you know, keep pushing for those um, other markets as well. Um, I I know that Latin America Song Contest is happening, which is a really big market. And maybe they will try Asia again and maybe then America will, will do it again as well. Um, so it, it, it will be cool to see world... Uh, song contest at some point uh, I think that would be great if uh, every uh, every part of the world had their own and then they would bring it together um, in an even bigger event. Now I must say that's not the answer I was expecting I thought we were going to end up having a chat about the... What, what did you expect? <laughs> Stig, I think changing, you know <laughs> Changing the rules of the jury maybe or something like that? <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, that sort of rings a bell. We've got to chat about it. For for people who don't know, you you are on record of saying that you would like to see a change to the, the 50-50 split that, that we have at the moment. I totally like the uh, concept of having a jury and the public because it's it makes for so much more exciting uh, voting. Um, and it makes a sense in terms of making sure that there's someone who are really, you know, caring about the musical craft and you have uh, different other uh, reasons why you should have a jury as well. So I think that's all good. Um, 
The problem now is that the gap between the public votes and the jury votes are so big and it happens again and again. And if the people are going to feel strongly about the competition and believe in you know the competition, then I think you maybe should have a look at um, the 50-50 thing. Uh, maybe there should be like 60-40, just making a statement that the public votes are more important than the jury votes. So um, it's not a drastic change, but I think uh, that would be a good thing. And, you know, EBU and the host broadcaster will, I'm sure they will evaluate this and do all the right things. So I have totally confidence in them. And if they end up doing 50-50, I, I think they, they probably have good reasons for doing that. But um, I would at least give it some time and give it some work and see if uh, it was about time to change change it a bit. Can we talk about the the Instagram post that we saw a few weeks ago? You were at a Eurovision workshop in Berlin a few weeks ago and you put something on your Instagram story that was a picture of a beer and a caption <laughs> that said, mission accomplished. That's so Is... funny because a lot of people, <laughs> I, and I didn't, I didn't think about it when I posted it. It was just me uh, waiting for my uh, flight to Oslo um, <laughs> from uh, Berlin, where we had this uh, meeting, uh, Eurovision meeting. Every time when I'm in Germany, uh, besides you know doing whatever I'm doing there, um, one of my goals is to get a schnitzel, because that that is one of their um, traditional dish dishes and. Um, so <laughs> it didn't mean anything else that I got a beer and I got, got um, a schnitzel. And, but, but the funny thing is that everybody started, you know, reposting it and talking <laughs> about it. And it's just me sitting at an airport waiting for my flight to Oslo. So, so it but, doesn't mean, yeah, so it doesn't mean that you have successfully changed the rules of the Eurovision Song Contest. It was a success of getting a schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us at least a little bit about the Eurovision workshop? I know obviously it was for the for the heads of delegations who were there and it's an, an idea about how some people can come together and try and create some new ideas. I guess you did put that forward in, in the meeting, did you, to try and see what your peers and colleagues thought of it? I talked with some of the members of the um, reference group, which is like a few countries who have like their head of delegations, um, you know, having even closer communication with EBU the, the whole year around. But um, so, so I got, got to say my opinion. Uh, and then, uh, of course, they are at least looking at it. And uh, then we'll see what they come up with. Um, EBU on, the, on that meeting, so I can't say uh, anything about what happened in that meeting, but what is great is that we get to, you know, be with all these broadcasters, being invited to, to work on different topics and, you know, getting some sort of ownership to, to next year's Eurovision, which is really, really nice. So, um, 
and of course it's uh, great to share experiences and be like an extended family of Eurovision people uh, hanging out together. So um, it's always very cool and I think uh, EBU are amazing at hosting this. Um, and it's, they're, you know, looking at different topics and it, not just, um, it's all, 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 it's also those difficult questions. So, which I think is really nice that they actually share some of their, um, share some of their challenges and they um, let us in on it and we get to work on it. And that's, that's really nice. You don't have to say which countries, if there are any, do you know if there's any other countries, you know, like Norway and like NRK who also think that the 50-50 split might be, or moving away from that might be a good idea? I can guess. I would guess Finland. Just before we finish off, I'd love to ask a few more questions on this because it's become such a a huge uh, topic of conversation, especially in in the in the fandom. Really, for you, where do you think this has come from? Do you think it's more? Has it become more heightened this year with with Norway's result? You know, third with the public, seventeenth with the juries. Was it was it this year that really brought it home to you to think? I really want to change this. First, I have to say that I think Sweden was the uh, true winner uh, because it's very easy. You have the public votes and you have the jury votes. So there's nothing to discuss. Um, but of course, if you go into the details of how people voted, you have no juries giving Sweden 12 points. Uh, at least that's what I've heard. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then you have like this big gap between the public and the jury. So, and when that happens, you know, for several years now, then, then you really have to look, is this the right thing? Um, if you're telling the audience that, um, sure, you're going to be a part of it, but the, the jury is more important, then we're fine. Then everything is okay. But, uh, I, I don't think that's what EBU or any, anyone wants to to sell. I, I think it's it would be better to tell the audience you're number one. We're very happy to have this jury, but you're number one. So we're, we're going to do 60-40. And do you think that it would be a benefit to the entire contest as a whole if the split was more in favor of the public? You know, if you look, if we do look at Norway's results, for example, you know, over the last six years when you've been in the grand final five times out of that six you've scored more with the televote than you have with the jury but do you think generally as a whole it would benefit the contest rather than just of course Norway who tends to do better uh, with the, with the televote you know music is about the public what what do the public want and I said that I really like the way they do it with jury and the public. So I'm totally fine with that, but you have to make the public number one because it doesn't matter what the review says. It doesn't matter what, you know, journal journalists are saying. It's all about the people consuming music. Um, so 
at least you have to make sure that the public understand that they have the most power. They are number one. And if it proves that the jury are number one every year, then people are going to lose interest at some point. That's dangerous. And finally, on the 50-50 split, do you think that the public should have uh, a say if there was going to be a, a change like this? Just for example, we put out on our social media asking what our followers and what our listeners would, would want. And 80% of those said they would like the 50-50 to stay. So do you think there's a difference between what the EBU or what the heads of delegations think is different to what maybe even the public think? I think uh, EBU, you know, they are doing this so well. So I I think, uh, and like I said, I really believe that they will do the um, right things for the competition uh, as they do every year. I think they are doing amazingly well uh, with Eurovision. So I think it's up to them to look at, you know, uh, whatever the different people are saying and, and, and do the work, you know, with with um, analyzing this uh, from all the feedbacks and, and doing the mathematics in this and everything. And I have to say, if, they, if they're going to end up on 50-50, I'm sure they have strong reasons for doing that. So um, what I'm doing is just I'm suggesting stuff and I... I, I I, I would believe that it's in their interest to evaluate this and have a look at it. But um, I, I'm totally confident that they will do the right choice. So um, if they um, end up doing 50-50, then I'm sure they have done all the math. They have analyzed it. They have asked people and then, then we move on. Stig, before I let you go, I've got a couple more minutes. So I'm going to try and squeeze a couple more questions in. Um, we've seen at MGP earlier this year uh, that there was auto-tune used in, the con- in that competition. Do you think Eurovision would benefit from, from such a, a rule change as well? My favourite topic. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't even want to, uh, you know, I don't want to make a huge deal about this because I know, again, this is a, another huge topic of conversation. <laughs> but just, you know, we could, we could go into the ins and outs of what the auto-tune does and and all that sort of thing, but do you think Eurovision would benefit? I'm just joking with you. Um, (laughs) It's been a big thing in the media and always I've done probably 35 interviews, television, radio and (laughs) newspapers about this. Um, The thing is that Auditune, the public, the people think about Auditune as making reality people who can't sing into pop stars. And that's what you can do if you're in a studio environment. If you're putting someone on stage and you ask them to sing live, you can't make that um, person a great singer if it's not. So the auto-tune used in MGP is professionalizing the sound. You're making sound like uh, a professional project, like every other television show in the world. And we are, you know, in Norway, everyone does it. And if we were the only show not to do it, people would say, it's it's not as good. 
it is what it is. And if you go see a live show, you, the artist standing on stage, will be, uh, will use some sort of auditune. I'm telling you, every almost every artist, maybe not in your local bar, but in a big stage production. So, I, I think it's misunderstood, and I think that. Eurovision will have to do it because the music industry will demand it. Because we get used to hear music that are refined a little with auditive. And finally, uh, another thing that we saw at MGP earlier this year was, was the dramatic way you announced the qualifiers to the final, which is something like we've never seen before, where you went to each of the artists and told them yes or no that they were going to go through to the final. Do you think that could be uh, another addition at the Eurovision Song Contest that would help make the full event even more dramatic? We saw a different style of a way of announcing the qualifiers this year that they tried in Liverpool and they scrapped it. But do you think that format might be a, a good idea to try and create a bit more drama on TV? Yeah, they, they tried it in Liverpool, I think. Uh, mm. Or at least they tried the idea and the response was so negative that they uh, move back to the traditional format. Um, I, th- I think that there's a balance between making a feel-good show um, where everyone is at the same party and enjoying it and also making it exciting, making sure that the contest is exciting. So um, we're looking at it was that a good idea will we do it like that now or will we do something else but um it's kind of hard to say i I think it you just have to make sure that it's exciting but still don't make it um too uncomfortable for the artist here steak carlson thank you so much for being so generous with your time really really appreciate it I know you've probably got a lot of work to do for MGP for, for next year. So I'll, I'll let you go and wish you the very best of luck for that competition uh, in the new year. Uh, I just have to say thank you for having me. You know, it's always great talking to you and, um, you know, having uh, this uh, kind of communication between, you know, the artists, the um, people working uh, behind the scenes and, the um, wonderful uh, Eurovision community is, is so great. We're, we're one big happy family. Indeed we are. Stig, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
if nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Euro Trip with Rob Lilly and James Rowe. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. So this is the Eurotrip podcast, the contest and me here from us, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. And James, with that interview, you have brought the curtain down on the contest and me 2023. And as I said it earlier on, we have done so in style because some fascinating stories there from Stig and James, some intriguing things at the end there. Auto-tune, will they introduce that to the Eurovision Song Contest? And also, of course, that discussion about the juries and the tally vote and what might happen next. Yeah, it does look like he has been speaking to the EBU and the reference group and at that Eurovision workshop about the 50-50 split and whether the EBU will go in the direction of a of a higher weighted televote so the viewers at home have more of a say and he thinks that is the the direction to go down when we spoke to Martin Ostadal the executive producer back in May he says that we will see that they will potentially look at it so it, it's no secret that it is a topic of conversation at the EBU uh, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Nothing confirmed as of yet. Uh, and uh, as we talked about the uh, the Instagram post, mission accomplished was just getting a schnitzel in Berlin Airport. Which I'm quite pleased about because it just shows, doesn't it? You could be a head of delegation for your country at the Eurovision Song Contest. But actually, what's really important is whether you can get your hands on a schnitzel. <laughs> you know, I respect a lot. Talk about food a lot on this podcast. I've got a lot of respect for that. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether the change does uh, come about for 2024 or at what point in the future that Autotune makes its appearance in the contest itself. Uh, Do let us know what you think about Stig's suggestions and anything else he had to say uh, during this episode of the contest to me. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter uh, and Instagram. You can see some videos as well over on TikTok. You can email us, hello at eurotrippodcast.com, and you can read all of our exclusive stories, of which there's a a few from today's episode, over on eurotrippodcast.com. And if you have enjoyed this series of The Contest and Me, don't forget, please do go over and leave us a review. I know you'll you'll mention all this in a minute anyway, James, but if you have enjoyed this series of The Contest and Me, then whether you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you listen, and if you can leave a review, leave us a review, leave us a little comment, because it does mean a lot to know that you've been listening and enjoying these episodes as well. It certainly does. Uh, As we've mentioned, this is the final episode of The Contest and Me for this year. We'll be taking a short break. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, Rob, congratulations. You are getting married next week, which is a good enough reason for a few weeks off. Getting married next week. Yeah, a preemptive congratulations from you. I mean, don't get me wrong. Hopefully the whole thing goes without a hitch. I'm sure it'll be fine. But yeah, at the time of of release, I'm getting married next week, which is very exciting. And uh, me and James will be taken to a wedding dance floor 
near you very soon not near you probably but near me definitely so yeah we've got that to look forward to next week so yeah a little break and then we'll be back and when we return we'll be bringing back rewind so we'll be bringing back the very latest news of course from the world of the Eurovision song contest we'll start our build up to malmo 2024 properly but we'll also be deep diving into some contests of the past with the people who were there yes very exciting to be bringing that back for for the second time we did it for the first time last year very excited for its return this year so we'll be back with you in a few weeks time and until then don't forget as rob says to subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars uh but from me james it's goodbye and from me rob it's goodbye want to get a chiseled look in the jawline sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from juvederm volux xc juvederm volux xc is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.